Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads in the Workplace. working in the engineering tech field for a long time. It's about 2017 when I encountered the KLC principles for the first time, and that really changed my life in a lot of ways. I was in a number of jobs and positions where it just felt like the same problems were occurring over and over again. I didn't really know what to do with them, and I, in a sense, felt like I was playing whack-a-mole and just trying to knock one thing down at a time, but really not making a lot of progress on that. How did those tools help you from feeling like you weren't playing whack-a-mole anymore? What KLC gave me was a different set of tools to approach these biggest challenges and see opportunities and uh, make progress on those. Sure, I had my technical skills, and that's what I was used to using, but they weren't being effective. Then I saw the KLC framework and the tool set, and it was in addition to those technical skills, but it was a different solution for these tougher challenges. What topic are you bringing to us today? When everyone leads in the workplace. Tell us how you are connected to this topic and why it's important to you. What I think about is changing a culture. And the way that you change a culture is to change the language. One of the ways to do that is through a framework like When Everyone Leads KLC to get everybody on the same page with the same language and the same framework about looking at these gaps and approaching these problems in different ways. Before you encountered KLC, what's the leadership language that was the default at places you've worked? I don't think there was one, and I think that's why this was so exciting. People go off to all of these different leadership development courses all the time. Some of them are very individualized. I've been a student of leadership for years. I've never encountered anything that was this broad-reaching and applicable to organizations and allowing people to pick it up and share that common language. And when you're looking at a problem and you're using multiple interpretations or values, conflicts, or any of this, that's shared language within the organization. When you think about the topic of everyone leading in the workplace, what concerns you the most? I think what concerns me the most is we really haven't taken advantage of the full impact that we could get for when everybody leads in the workplace, meaning that if we really spread this to entire teams or entire organizations that are working on these problems together, I think there could be so much more impact from the training that people go through. I think people's hearts are in the right place when they think about the purpose of this leadership training, but I don't think they always consider the impact and what greater impact they could have if they were training 
communities and teams and people together because I think this work is not meant to be done alone. It's just too difficult. What are your aspirations? My aspirations would be for more and more business owners to make that decision that, yeah, I'm going to invest. I'm going to send this entire team. I'm going to send my entire organization. I'm going to spread this language across my entire company, whether that be five people or 10,000 people, because then you have so much more capacity for seeing and seizing those opportunities. I want to say that in order to get a company involved, you would need to get at least the funding and the acceptance from the higher up people. So you would kind of need them on board at first. I wonder how difficult would it be to get some of those higher up, maybe CEOs, accepting of letting their people go and spend a few days in these trainings. They might think that's money thrown away, not understanding how great of an impact it could be in their workplace. Yeah, there's several things there from the people in authority or the decision makers. I think it could be scary putting aside the money. If I authorize everybody to lead, then what is this going to look like? Maybe that's scary for me and maybe I have some sense of loss of control or everybody looking to me for the answer. The financial equation is there too, but maybe it's not so much financial. Maybe it's deeper than that Mm -hmm. if you dig down into what's really holding people back or Mm -hmm. what they're scared of. What gets people stuck in that gap between the concerns that they have and the aspirations that you see? We named some of those. It would be chaos if everyone leaves, right? (laughs) Or I think if you take that to the extreme, the authority person might be thinking, well, then they're not going to need me anymore to make all these decisions. And so I'm going to be jobless Mm -hmm. at that point. So I think all of those things kind of come into play as we look at why we're stuck. Like the values clash, like you named, we're comfortable where we are, we're comfortable with the status quo. I know when I come into work, this is what I do, and what is it going to look like? And you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we're comfortable with the status quo, or it's just harder to imagine things being different? The devil you know versus the devil you don't kind of thing. It seems like it's such a wide range of people, and it seems like it's everybody, but... What specific groups would be involved in this issue? We name CEO mm-hmm. or those people that hold the authority positions for those teams or those organizations, the ones that make the decisions on the funding, who and how many get to go to this type of training. If you have people that have come to the training, they can go back and have conversations around really the greater impact that you could have if you sent multiple people in an org to the training like this. I don't want to let anybody off the hook. I think we all have a place to play in this. And when you think about people in authority, people who make funding decisions, what do they care about when they think about, do I want a workplace where everyone leads? What are the values and what are the gains and losses that are on their minds? They just want to get the work done in a lot of cases. I think that's why you get so much of that (laughs) whack-a-mole we talked about at first, right? Just get the problem solved and move on to something else. So I think some of it is education, really, about looking at the deeper challenges that may be going on in the organizations. We talked about those that are just kind of swimming beneath the surface. And if you never look at those, they're not going to go away and you're never going to be able to make progress on it. 
I've spent some time profiling an organization for County Mental Health Center in Southeast Kansas. And one of the things I learned from those interviews was they'd send their employees through training and there would be factions in terms of their reaction to training. People who almost have a religious type of revival and people who say, well, if you're going to send me there, I'll go. I'll do what you want me to, but I'm not going to put too much into it. And then there are the people who are like, why did you waste my time? Did you really think (laughs) that this was going to change my life? Thanks for wasting three days. Do those feel like they capture the factions in your experience? What's your sense of where employees are coming from when they try to experiment with this idea of when everyone leaves? Yeah, I'm laughing because you named them all, right? (laughs) I'm here going, oh, my life was changed. This is great. And other people are going, I'm never going to use this, whatever. And you wasted your money. It's just getting enough, getting enough people that can see the ball, can see the challenges, are willing to do the work. I never talk about getting everyone, I guess, even though the book's called When Everyone Leads. Getting enough people to lead in these different teams, organizations, I think can change the equation. Everybody has the capability to do it. And when you think about your experience, it seems like you're in the, this had a huge impact faction. Have you been able to discern any patterns about who really gravitates to this and who sort of just goes along for the ride and who's resistant? To me, the people that I found that have been the most engaged have a real spirit of curiosity and are willing to see things in different ways, in different lights. People that have been very concrete thinkers have a much harder time, I think, grasping onto some of these things. That's kind of my own way of looking at it. But a greater sense of curiosity is one thing that really stands out. How much do you find the KLC language infiltrating your vocabulary? And how does that help you exercise leadership and in what ways is that ever a barrier? I talk a lot about let's identify the losses. Let's talk about those because usually people don't. They just get swept under the rug. Let's talk about the value conflicts here because there's something clashing. We're not making the progress that we need to make. So I use the language a lot, but I only do it around people that I know that already have the language. I entered an organization where there were just a couple of us with the language. And it was much more difficult because I was trying to find the right words to explain all these things. It took a lot more time. It took a lot more energy because when everybody has kind of that same framework, they know what you're trying to do when you talk about let's diagnose this deeper or what are some other interpretations about this. They know what you're trying to do. And so they can come in and help rather than just the progress. Are there some ideas that are harder to translate than others to people who don't know the framework? Maybe the diagnosing situations, especially in the tech engineering world, we think we're great at that. On the adaptive side, we learn quickly that we're really not that great at going deeper and really getting the different perspectives on the table. You had mentioned that you went into a company that wasn't really familiar with our principles. When you had gone back to the company after being introduced, was it as though you had put your glasses on and it was like 2020 vision or was it more of like a slow burning introduction of our principles into your work life? My first experience was when 12 of us got trained together. It was really fun to go back to the workplace and you would hear people practicing and trying the language. In the first couple of days, I just had to laugh like every time I heard 
And that's one interpretation. <laughs> and another interpretation. <laughs> that's died off over time. They still do it and they can still practice. It really helps people from getting so defensive. I always said it was kind of <laughs> like playing the magic card. If somebody in authority is saying something, then you can always say, well, another interpretation is. If they're open and curious, they'll go, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So this makes me want to talk about engineers. The story I would tell about engineers, whether it's true or not, coming from my communications background, English minor, journalist for a long time, is that engineers are very smart, very capable at doing the things that they've been trained and know how to do. This is not an English essay. There is a right way to do things and we need to get it done. And I could imagine these ideas being very challenging for them. And I'm wondering, in your experience, do people who come from an engineering or from that more concrete background respond to this or do they feel challenged by it? What sort of patterns do you see? All of that is true. We as engineers are trained to get the right answer. But I think as engineers are in the workplace longer, they come to realize that not all problems have a technical solution. We've got people involved people are messy, and how am I supposed to deal with all these people? And then I think you can flip it and say, these are adaptive challenges when you have all these people involved. And if you're open to having this different tool set, then that's going to just complement your already technical skill set. So we're not saying technical solutions are bad, and they're tough, and they're challenging, and all of that stuff is there. We can be very good at technical solutions, but our company's not going to prosper if we also don't have this adaptive tool set. We're so used to thinking of or, we need to start thinking of and. It's technical and adaptive. How do you know you're in a healthy workplace culture for leadership? For me, the markers are you have to have a high degree of trust, people willing to be vulnerable, people willing to go out on a limb to look at some of these tougher challenges and make progress on it. Organizational health is so extremely important for the culture. As I said, we tend to focus in the workplace on all the engineering, accounting, finance, all of that stuff, HR, but we don't pay as much attention typically to all this org health kind of stuff that deals with conflicts and negotiation and all this other stuff that you have to do in order to get work done. Is some of that because it's difficult to measure? I mean, we don't have the quarterly leadership report, yeah. quarterly workplace culture report that the shareholders get together and talk about. Yeah, I think it is because it's all that intangible stuff. And like you said, it's much, much harder to measure. When we're looking at adaptive challenges, one of the things is, well, what are we going to see differently? You're going to see more people engaged in this or that. A lot of people say, well, that's not a measurement. Are you able to point to tangible things that are markers of success? I think there's some things you can point to, like more people asking questions in meetings or more people willing to go into deeper diagnosis. There's some things that you can look for that are different than how much money the company made or our retention rate. Where do our opportunities lie for leadership in the workplace? There's a lot of opportunities there, just educating people on the purpose and the framework and then the impact and really talking to people about what is the impact that you want. Do you want to change a culture? Are you really going in big and bold on this? 
Or are you just doing more of an incremental, I'll send one or two people off, I can check the box, they have leadership development, they feel good, I feel good, and that's the end. But the opportunity really is to look at the impact and what the possibilities are. Do you have a favorite leadership competency or principle? Actually, I think diagnose situations because there's just so much there. And if you don't take your time there and kind of feel that out, then you're not going to make a lot of progress. I would just start there. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what this tells about us. I'm a raise the heat guy myself. (laughs) For people listening to this podcast, what do you hope they would take away from this? I would hope that they would reconsider maybe what models of training they're looking at and overall investment and then what they could get out of that. So I'd really encourage them not to just do a rubber stamp, send one or two people, but really think about sending an entire team and see what happens with that. Send an entire organization and see what that looks like. Okay, we'll make room if they want to send their whole organization. We'll figure out a way. Will we? Well, well, no, no, we will. We will. We'll, <laughs> no, we will. <laughs> we'll figure. We'll figure out somehow. So. You had to think about. I was like, no, let me jump in and say yes, we will. <laughs> well, I had to think about what did I just sign us up <laughs> for? You know, say, is there going to be a line of people outside maybe. the door like exactly. leadership training, yes, leadership with training, signs and everything? Please and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So you want a copy of When Everyone Leads? Here's how to get it. Visit kansasleadershipcenter.org. And if you want to pick up a copy for a friend, well, don't worry. We printed enough. And we'll be delighted to have you as a part of the When Everyone Leads community. training and trying to change a culture in a workplace is in of itself an act of leadership. If you send a bunch of people to leadership training, hey, they're going to be factions. They're going to be people who really resonate with it. They're going to be people who are just like meh and people who don't like it. And then you have to throw those people back in the same place together to figure out how to work together and how to use these ideas. And it sounds like there's a giving the work back aspect of it that you try to find those champions. You try to find those people who are going to try to make it make sense for the people who struggle with it. I've talked about this with my mom. Before I started working at KLC, I knew nothing about the Leadership Center. I was introduced to the Leadership Center when I interviewed here. So reading through our core principles and going through that first initial class, if I'm being honest, I'm probably one of the people that was like, I'll take it or I'll leave it. But that's not because I didn't agree with what was being said. It was because my family had been living those principles for so long. We kind of acknowledge that. Even though we think the language is special Mm -hmm. and that these are important ideas, they're also ideas that a lot of people practice. They're not a complete revelation. Maybe the revelation is in the experience mm-hmm. and 
the number of people who are going through it, but the ideas in and of themselves for a lot of people are common sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the big reason to go through the trainings would be to learn how to diagnose a situation because you can have experience diagnosing a situation and learn that you've been doing it all wrong or you haven't been giving multiple interpretations or you're not used to hearing multiple interpretations. You're just used to giving them. So I do think that our trainings are beneficial. Yeah, or you can do it really, really well in certain situations, Mm -hmm. but find that you don't have the skill or knowledge base to do it in all the situations that you need to do to sort of be effective in your role or have the life that you want or have the society that you want. Most people have a range of leadership interventions that they're really successful at. And the challenge is expanding the range and expanding the number of situations that they can be effective in, expanding the challenges because the challenges are always changing. They're always morphing and changing into something different. It is the whack-a-mole that Mm -hmm. we talked about. That's the nature of an adaptive challenge. And it's usually multiple moles, not just one that are coming at you. And so it's being able to have that skill to step in and to start whacking the moles that you're missing. Yeah. I have a question for you. You're a part of the senior team and I'm not. So I want to know how our experiences might be different in applying everyone can lead into our workplace. To reflect, so I wasn't always on senior team. When I came into KLC, my title was actually Senior Communications Associate, which is just a very strange combination of words. I don't know what it meant back then, (laughs) but that's what my title was. And so I wasn't on senior team. And Mm -hmm. so I was on the outside looking in. And I think when you get to a senior level in an organization, you realize that the stories people tell about your decision-making power may on occasion be more profound than you actually feel in those moments. You sort of feel just as confused and it always feels like there's someone who might have more say or more power or more authority in a situation. And so, I mean, clearly where I'm at in the organization, I impact more people by how I engage and the decisions that I make. And I'm still impacted by lots of people. I am impacted at different levels of the organization Mm -hmm. and they shape my behavior and I'm trying to be effective with all of them. And I think having the experience of coming up through an organization, I don't, I don't forget what it was like to be an associate and I don't forget what it was like to be a manager. And now that I'm an executive, I remember those things. And I also know that I don't totally remember those things. So I better (laughs) listen to people who are at those levels because if I don't, I'm going to miss something because I can't just trust that my prior experience is going to tell me what I need to know to be effective right now and to help make this organization what I hope it can be. And it's a really good place, but it can always be a better place. Was it difficult for you to try to get into that role as a manager? And it's interesting. So for a lot of time, I was a manager who didn't really manage anybody on staff. Mm-hmm. I managed people who worked on the journal. I managed a team of contractors. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's different now that I manage people in an organization. It's just more complicated. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of different parts of the organization to answer to. And it just feels like I have to be better and develop more skills in order to be able to help give people the right direction. So there's protection, direction, and order. 
And then there's giving them the chance to define their job and mm-hmm. define what they're doing and to experiment and to know that how I see what they can do may not be the limits of what they can actually do, that they need to figure out what that job looks like. Yet everything they do also reflects on me. Yeah. So like I am judged on the basis of the people I oversee, what they do. But if I want them to prosper, then protection, direction, and order can only go so far in making it possible for people to really thrive. You need some of it, but you need freedom and independence and agency to do your work. seems like you would have to have a lot of trust in whoever you're managing (laughs) to be able to be in that sweet spot to give them direction and also be able to be like, and you can go and do your own thing, but please don't make me look bad. (laughs) Is it awkward that there are people I actually manage in this room as I'm talking? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, is it? There may be some inside voices that can talk more about the gap between reality and aspiration. No? Okay. I think she's saying everything is great. (laughs) That was a one-minute warning, actually. Oh, boy. That's wonderful. Before we go, I want to get back to this when everyone leads thing. Mm -hmm. And so I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about something that I think my parents told me, probably my mom, that you can... Yeah, I know. Bringing the fans into this. There's the old cliche, you can please some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. Well, maybe when everyone leads is true, but maybe it's not that everyone leads at exactly the same moment. Maybe we need workplace cultures where everyone is trying to lead in their moment. Mm -hmm. And that there are moments in this organization where I'm not leading and I should be leading. But because there's somebody here with the skill and capacity and the agency to lead, that they can sort of pick up the slack and move us forward when I'm not able to do that. And maybe I pick them up. And what matters is we just sort of have enough people doing it that we keep moving. We have enough solar power to keep the car moving. And that's what the key is. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Berblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center, or on Twitter, at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward. forcing you to start these past few so I can start this time can okay. I no you can start <laughs> I, I was wondering if you were going to identify the pattern to change the pattern or to just set up the way you were going to do it I'm anyway. identifying right. the pattern